Hello and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast. I am Josiah. And I'm Jessica. We were missionaries, campus pastor, professor, and doctoral student for seven years until we stepped back in 2019 to seek health and re-examine our beliefs. Right now, I am a Christian, but not an evangelical. And I'm an agnostic and also very much not an evangelical. We are deconstructing and reconstructing together. Listen to some of our key episodes, such as Deconstructing Together, Domestic Abuse, I Am a Survivor, The Cult of ATI Part 1 and 2, and Dehumanized by Purity Culture. Join us on our journey as we seek health together. <laughs> and together with us today is Kyle Bishop from Beyond God and Religion. And Kyle, you had... Uh, BeyondGodAndReligion.com or on Instagram or Facebook. Yes. All of the above. I am found yeah. all over the place. So any of That's those, awesome. uh, you, can, you can find me. So thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you guys. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited. Um, we connected on Instagram. Um, it, I really like what you post. <laughs> As you can tell, well, I share a lot you. of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's hitting right. That's good. That's good to know. Yes. A little bit of feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. I want to share lots of the things that you post. <laughs> I haven't created my own, too much of my own content on Instagram, but I, I share a lot. <laughs> Yeah, on my, uh, my journey, I basically used my Instagram initially as my own journal, just thoughts yeah, that were going through my I'm head. <laughs> yeah, as, as I was, you know, leaving religion, leaving the whole faith thing and just kind of like, okay, hold on, time out. I, I don't know what I believe. And so I just opened up the door to every possible avenue of information and even including a lot of things that freaked me out. Because when I, mm -hmm. I, I was raised uh, LDS, Mormon, for uh, listeners who aren't familiar with that faith, um, but it was, it was such a surreal thing because I had always been taught that, you know, that the person who left the church was always the cautionary tale that was going to be told to the people who stayed. And I heard so many of those, like, oh, so-and-so yeah. left. And like, <laughs> they're miserable. Like, they're addicted to drugs and pornography. And it, it didn't You're end. the worst. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, and as a kid who couldn't defend myself, I was like, well, I don't want to be that guy. That sounds awful. Like, I'll stay in, in this church. And then eventually it's it's kind of like my my testimony or my faith was like a big uh, jenga tower and people just kept pushing one block at a time little little things out and then all of a sudden when it crumbled it was just an explosion and it was uh obviously Ugly. not a fun time because you know f the the faith crisis it's like i mean you you pay for the wisdom you learn in life and a lot of it is because you have to let go of some things that were so close to your heart and so dear to you uh, and then having to completely reforge not just your idea system, but your entire identity. Because when people leave faith, yeah. they don't just leave a faith, they leave an entire identity. And then it, it's not just what am I going to believe now? It's who the hell am I? And that is a, yeah. that's a scary question to ask. All the questions that you, know, you had answers to, all of a sudden it's like, that was not true. Or at least I don't think it was true. And I need to come up with, with new things. And so it's, it's been quite a... a a process anyway i'm I'm rambling now but uh oh, yeah my it. instagram <laughs> is my journal and it was just thoughts all the things that i studied and it, it has been a wild ride but i i wish somebody would have told me initially you know when i was contemplating you know leaving the faith how much better life can be because i was mm -hmm. always told you, know, you leave you're miserable and every story you know was was a person who uh you know regretted the decision to leave and to do that regardless i was like 
I was like, go me. Like <laughs> yeah. I went into the, into the, into out into the wild just to see what was going to happen because I felt that, you know, I'd rather burn in a hell than have to support, you know, things that I felt I couldn't possibly support. So I was like, I mean, if that alone, like if that was the only thing I got out of leaving, it's been so worth it, but there's been so much more. Mm-hmm. That's really neat. How long ago was it that you, that you left the church? Good question. So I, my, my heart left a long time before my feet actually did. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So and I, I think that's kind of how a lot of people, people yeah. are. It's, it's not an overnight thing. It's, it's kind of a slow decay of, you know, the faith. Um, but it was, so I'm 31 now. I was probably oh, 26 when uh, I started, you know, having, no, no, it was 2015. It was actually a girl that I was dating. Uh, <laughs> she, got a, she got an answer from God that we weren't supposed to like date or, or be married. And we got along really well. And so it totally, it just threw me to this like, what? I was <laughs> like, hold on, time out. Like, like all the terrible things that happen and like, you know, God doesn't show up for that. But like, you know, Kyle wants right. to date so-and-so and God jumps out of the bushes and blows the whistle. He's like, I can't handle this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that was the beginning of the mm-hmm. unraveling of my faith because Makes sense. You know, I really, really, yeah, there were so many things, you know, in faith that it's like, well, it was, it's really just, you know, emotions and fears masquerading about as though it's divine guidance or inspiration. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, well, you can't possibly use that to manipulate anybody or to like, you know, kind of slither out <laughs> of the situation. It's like, it was like, if you don't want to date me, that's cool. You want to bring God into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, and yeah, it's, it's so many, so many of the fears that we have deeply rooted, you know, in the subconscious mind, we don't really know what's down there. Cause you know, by definition, this is subconscious. And so they manifest their, themselves, like our doubts and our fears in these really weird ways. And like, there's, you know, and we want, we want to be able to manifest our fears in a ways that we don't, in a way that we don't actually have to like, um, own, we yeah. have to be responsible for them. So it's you know yeah. like one thing I noticed in the culture of our church was that whenever there was a breakup, God was involved because it's like, hey, it's yes. not me, man. I think you're great. You got to take it up with the big man. Like he's, <laughs> I'm just following orders. And it was like, it's like, no, what happened is like you're afraid of commitment, and that's fine. Like, I mean, put me on that list. Like that's totally cool. But like, we use God as our eternal scapegoat. He's the credit card you yeah. can just ching 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 all day long. Because I mean, yeah. and this is my personal opinion, but I felt like you can get the Bible to do anything you want to. Cause there's a verse that yes. says anything. And it's, yes, it's like, that's what I feel. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, well, so it sounds like we have, we have a Christian an agnostic and an atheist. We have the whole spectrum. <laughs> like we're, we are the entire, the, the entire rainbow. So we yeah. yes. representing all the colors. Yeah. <laughs> so like for us, I don't know, like, we don't really know each other. So we were missionaries actually full time and we went overseas and we were cross-cultural and it just got harder and harder. And then at one point we felt like we're just coasting. Like we're just doing what the church wants us to do. We're just doing what we had asked our um, mentors to pray for us, whether we should stay where we didn't fit was a feel was a good fit. And they all said we should Mm -hmm. stick it out. Um, and we stuck it out for four years and it never five, fit. Yeah. And we knew inside that it was not right, yeah. but we followed the church, what they said we should do. Yep. And that our, my mental health just went to depression and anxiety and it got, got so bad until a point where it was like, I need to take control of my life. I need to stop coasting. And we decided to leave missions 
um, and moved back home, uh, which we had left seven years before. So we left with two kids, came back with five. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this was just last end of last November, actually, that we moved back. Um, and so all this has happened in less than a year, <laughs> in a year. Um, That's wild. That's a lot. It has been a wild year. <laughs> so There's a few other things that happened in 2022. I can't remember. They were pretty <laughs> significant, but something like election and COVID. I, it, <laughs> I, it slips my mind what else happened in 2020. But... I've, I've heard of these things, but <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> an article so, yeah, somewhere. We, we just like I with COVID church shutting down um, was the space I needed for me to be able to think through. I was not things were not working out um, for me and my mind being back in this um, home church. Um, so just accumulation of a lot of things. Um, and I just never went back to church. Um, and here I am <laughs> an agnostic <laughs> yeah. um, and struggling with PTSD for um, religious trauma um, mm -hmm. pretty massively. Um, the last week has been really, really rough. Um, and Josiah's a theologian, um, started his doctorate in theology a couple years ago, um, and now reconsidering all his theologies. So <laughs> um, oh. When you reached out and said, like, we seem to post similar things, I, was, I thought that was so fascinating because um, I feel like I'm he finding healing one meme at the time <laughs> on Instagram. Oh, real. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, just a little but, click yeah oh yeah, my gosh that, it, that it brings a lot of clarity yeah and then what I found fascinating too is that um you left the Mormon church and mm -hmm. I left an evangelical background <laughs> um and there are so many similarities yeah it's just absolutely wild to me <laughs> um because we were so taught I was so taught that we were the true church. <laughs> you recognize mm -hmm. that? <laughs> Mormons are yep. the cult. <laughs> so, oh, oh, for sure. Turns yeah, out that was correct, then, actually. So uh, <laughs> it was just correct both ways. <laughs> I was, exactly. So now I'm like, how, okay, my mind is still, I mean, it's fairly recent for me. So my mind is still trying to wrap myself, like truly believe what's happening, <laughs> what's going on, like, all the similarities. I've been reading some memoirs too, and stories from the LDS um, as well. And it's like, I just yeah. connect a lot with that. Um, and I'm like, how can we be so similar if we were right and they were wrong? <laughs> exactly. How, yeah. <laughs> and how is our book, the Bible, any different than the Book of Mormon? Like it, uh, these are all questions I do not have answers to um, in my new journey. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. You know, I used to, uh, so I, I'm from Salt Lake and right next to the uh, uh, U of U, the University of Utah campus, there's this huge uh, like institute building, which is where like all the LDS college students, which is a ton of them because we're in Utah, it's Mormon Mecca. Yeah. <laughs> um, they go into this building and it's massive. And I, went there oftentimes because there were, there were some quiet places to study. And so I would, I would uh, 
just kind of like journal to myself as I was going through this transition because I'd often be there because they had lots of activities and, you know, free food, all the things that college students are like, yeah, okay, I'll go, you know, <laughs> free pizza, we're in, like, we don't care what That's happens. That's why we do free pizza when we're on campus ministry. <laughs> <laughs> no one can say no to carbs and cheese. It's impossible. It's the only thing that my exactly. brain cannot come up with a good argument for. <laughs> Like it wins every time, carbs and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I was I was sitting there one day, and I I was just kind of thinking about the psychology of religion, how people work, how people you know persuade people to do certain things. Um, I was kind of in that in that phase. Not that that phase is you know concluded by any means, um, but I started youtubing cults and i was watching this and i was still very much active like yeah church is true like i was still very much there and i was watching all these cults and the techniques that they use there's this video that i watched and i was like oh my gosh we are like check 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 like every single one of these i was like yes i, like, I did just the same thing this year <laughs> is like it's the weirdest thing because you never think that you're the one in the cult never you know it's everyone never. else that's wrong and it's like i mean because it's like my parents couldn't be wrong they're nice like yeah they're nice people yeah. and it's like yeah okay and i i as i started shifting the perspective looking back on how maybe it could have been you know not true and how i still believed it it kind of just unlocked these new thoughts that i'm sure deep in my psyche were dying to be you know heard and they started coming out and it, it was just like you know we I, I was reading all this stuff and of course you know part of my brain is like no this can't be true like i mean it could be true but like it is damn well not going to be true you know it's like i was going to choose that it was not going to be true which obviously you know, it's like facts are very stubborn things. And, you know, regardless of how much you want them to be wrong, you start putting two and two together and it's like, oh crap, like this is, woo, this is yeah. too much. And then of course you close the laptop and you're like, faith, faith is the answer. <laughs> and that's, uh, that doesn't sit well in your psyche. It, it goes okay for about four minutes and then you're like, oh no. And then it, it's just the shelf starts to break because you put so much stuff on there through the years that it just splinters and then eventually it just shatters. So that was kind of my experience, but it was a, mm. it was definitely a slow exit. I always joke that I believed in Santa for way too long. And I was like, I will never be naive again. And here I am <laughs> like a Mormon till like I'm 28. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> well, for reference, clearly something needs. Yeah. <laughs> we are 37 <laughs> and we're, I have those thoughts too. I'm like, how, how for so many years, how can I be 37 before I'm deconstructing all this? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's rough. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a, there's a, a profound sense of loss and grieving that yes. comes through it. And loss yes. and grieving is not something that our brains are wired to want to feel. Which yeah. I think is one of the biggest reasons why we don't leave for so long. It's because you know we'll find a reason to stay. And for a lot of people, especially, uh, I don't know if this, this definitely isn't unique to the LDS faith. Actually, come to think of it, but just the community that you have in churches. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's nice people trying to do good things. I have no yes. beef with 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 yeah. believers. I have beef with the beliefs. Yeah, and that's a. Uh, and yeah, as you leave, it's kind of a. Uh, you oftentimes you'll get attacked for having questions or doubts when really you're just, you're just someone trying to figure something out, but it's like, don't you yeah. dare go there, which is interesting because yeah. that's kind of a, when people get so heated about somebody having a doubt, you know, I'm <laughs> sure that they've had theirs and you bringing up your doubts is also bringing back theirs. Hmm. And so it's like, it's like, you can't, 
you know, it's like the, the, it's like we're two flowers planted side by side and our roots have intertwined. And if I get plucked out of the Christian, you know, uh, bucket or whatever, it tends to pull theirs up as well a little bit. And it kind of dislodges them where they're very comfortable in the, in the soil they've been digging deep into their whole lives. And so it's painful. It's, it's super painful. It's like, I mean, you feel betrayed but you also love your parents. No, they aren't evil people. They just didn't mm-hmm. fact check. They weren't as yeah. critical in their thinking as you wish they would have been because it would have spared us so much grief. Yeah. And not just not just me, but I think of, uh, I was on the wrong side of history for a long time with gay rights. Um, that there was mm-hmm. so much stuff about my, my church in particular. I don't, I don't know um, about you know, other, other faiths, but uh, the leaders and the founders of my church were like obscenely racist. And I remember being at church and this was kind of toward the end of me leaving when they were going over. So blacks weren't allowed to have the priesthood um, in our church until like 1978, which a lot of other Christian faiths were on board with that. But it was, it was just like the question why is such a, such a, it's such a short word and it's (laughs) such a hard question to answer when, you know, you're living by faith. Cause it's like, well, why did he do that? It's like, why did God say to burn witches if witchcraft doesn't exist? It's like, you know, all, all yeah. of these, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, man, that, that Jenga block, just one by one, I was in a, I was in a, a Sunday school lesson and they were talking about blacks in the priesthood because the church has to address it because, you know, it's such a hot topic, you know, that like you can't just not address, you know, the church's history for so long. Now, granted, the LDS church does a phenomenal job of hiding it and making things not transparent and not easy to find. Like it's on their website, but it's like, you have to click through a whole bunch of things in order to even find it. Like it's, you know, whereas it's like, if you want missionaries, it's like, there's a button every three inches going down the site. Like yeah. meet with missionaries, meet with missionaries, you know, it's like, okay, we're, no, we're equal representation here. But anyway, I remember in this lesson, uh, they were talking about blacks in the priesthood. And the lesson, like the first 30 seconds of the lesson is like, yeah, blacks were allowed to have the priesthood. And the remaining like, you know, 45 minutes and however many seconds is like, but we're so glad that we have a prophet of God called today. He was like, yeah, we can't do that. And that's like the whole lesson. And I was like, I looked around. I was like, does anyone not see the massive plot hole here? Like prophets were the ones who said no. And now prophets are the one who said yes. So that kind of tarnishes the whole reputation of what a prophet is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and everyone's just kind of like, a, you know, the meme with the, the, there's a meme with like the monkey doll and he's like looking in, in like half of it. And then he's looking off to the side. Oh, yes. Know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah. Funny. No one told me that like memes were going to be the thing that brought down my faith. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Memes. Memes freaking memes. Great. <laughs> like 3 a.m. I'm just scrolling through my phone because I'm bored. And yeah, that's what I was doing faith. today at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> We're so similar. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, just that that slow waking up to like, oh my gosh, it's totally bullshit. Like it's totally yeah. bullshit. And that's yeah. it's just like your psyche just splits in two. And then it's you tough. cope for a while. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I feel it's, like uh, that's very much where I'm at. It's only been a few months, but um yeah. Like the last couple of weeks has just really crashed down, you know, like just uh, feels like a whole tent web inside, like trying to take it apart. And I, I know one new thing, but I can't quite believe it. <laughs> um, yeah. Just this fight 
um, religious trauma. Um, just so realizing how much I have of that, um, mm -hmm. the religious trauma. And it's like, wow, my gosh, this is real. Like, this is, this is real. <laughs> the internal mm -hmm. struggle of accepting that this truly happened to me is so tough. Um, and the things that were marketed as a good thing, this is good for you, but actually it wasn't good for yeah. you and it wasn't good for the world and yeah. totally resonate with what you're saying about being on the wrong side of history. That's been something like I, as we mentioned, like I am a Christian, I am trying to hold on to that. And I do think that Jesus provides like he was against Pharisees. If we can just kind of take off the religious packaging off of some of the words of Jesus, actually Jesus has some really powerful things to say. Uh, it's just that unwrapping the religious packaging. That's like, well, hold on. Like what, what is left is <laughs> kind of where I'm at, but just, you know, being on the wrong side of history and 2020 happens and it's like, boom, you know, racism, you know, the most, uh, the, the hottest Twitter issue for this year was, um, was black lives matter. And like, I'm studying at a school called Southern Evangelical Seminary and halfway through the year, they're like, well, we need to speak to this crisis. So they come out with a statement saying, we as a school do not endorse Black Lives Matter. We believe that all lives matter. And I, and I was like, yeah, like seriously? And now like the Southern Baptist Association has come out as, well, they, they all, the, the presidents of all the major universities have come out. I'm not Baptist, but like these are kind of the leaders and shakers within evangelicalism that kind of represent me. And they came out and said, we do not endorse critical race theory, you know, and it's like Bob Jones University is another major university within evangelicalism. Like they only allowed um, interracial marriage like 20 years ago, like around the turn of the millennia. So like there's all these things that like I always thought that racism was something that other people did like so long ago that it doesn't affect me. But then this year has just shown me like, no, actually, this is something that's happening right now. And that's just one thing. I mean, then we look at like, um, well, you mentioned LGBTQ rights, um, the way that my faith treats women, the way that, um, you know, the, just the, like, I don't want to go here, but just the way that um, Christians get so sucked into nationalism and uh, worshiping, yeah. you know, one political party and really about protecting their own rights. That's what it seems to be about. And that yeah. like, that just, I can't, I can't handle that. I, it just seems so wrong. Um, but then when you go to say, well, there must be some, something good here. That's kind of my journey. I know that's different from you guys, but I do think there's, there's a core of truth within the words of Jesus, especially, but it's just hard to unpack. And once you start saying, once you start stripping away things that aren't healthy, our, our podcast is about seeking health. Like just let's get emotionally healthy. Let's get mentally healthy. Let's get relationally healthy. Let's have a, a natural and a healthy relationship to our bodies and to the planet and to one another. Once you use that as your guide, it's like, there's not a whole lot from what we've received <laughs> that can stay because so much of it is toxic basically mm -hmm. it's not just unhealthy it's like the opposite like it's an enemy of health yeah. it's toxic yeah 
Yeah, it's not something that you can even let go because it's causing so much pain and suffering in the world that it's like, yeah, it's not it's not neutral. It's not yeah. it's not gray. It's black, but the black was advertised as the white and white. Yeah, that's a that's a harsh reality to to come to. And I I really like your point on the relationship between nationalism and Christianity, because I think there's so many people who believe this is a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And I you know most of the time growing up I thought well yeah like almost all of us are Christian right like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, a very subtle but important distinction between like a nation with a bunch of Christians and a Christian nation. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I mean, if we could get rid of, you know, the law books and just insert, you know, Bible passages, I, I, I saw, I saw a meme. We're going back to memes. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Yay. a meme that basically <laughs> said, if you programmed a robot to execute all the things that the Bible says, how many of us would be left? Adultery, <laughs> you're dead. It's like, you did something weird at night. You're a witch. You're dead. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> We saw you, you know, you were just cooking dinner, but like, it looked suspicious. Burner. You know? <laughs> just all, all the little things and yeah. all the, all the little scriptures that, you know, like w- once you're on Instagram and someone actually compiles all the weird scriptures and it just gives you the scripture, what it says. And you're like, yeah, like, I'm glad I wasn't born back then because I would like drawn, quartered, burned, like all of it, like <laughs> all of the executions that would have been me. <laughs> It's like yeah. if, if you if you're not currently doing things the church would have killed you for, 400 years ago, are you even alive, bro? Like, <laughs> are, you even, are you even living? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. uh, I guess you know one of the ways that I've coped is just because so much of of religion is so sad once you realize what it's actually done to people and what it you know currently does, is you have to find a sense of humor because otherwise it just gets too heavy. And that's like yeah. that, that. I think that's why the memes are so effective at bringing down yeah. faith because it really isn't, uh, you know, turning back into the Book of Mormon or reading the Bible more because that's kind of like what, you know, pastors and bishops and, you know, people of our faiths tell us to do. It's like, oh, if you're having doubts, like, oh, you haven't been praying, have you? Or you haven't been reading your, you know, your Book of Mormon or your Bible. And it's, it's yeah. just, it's like, well, you know, I've been doing it for about 28 years. You'd think that would be long enough, you know, for, yeah. For it's kind of gaslighting, isn't it? Yeah, it really kind is. Of, it's just because it's turning it back on you. You're the fault. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I, I saw this. Uh, so with the way that um, the LDS church does it, and I was a missionary for two years in, in okay. Taiwan. So I, I learned Mandarin and, you know, it was, it was a wonderful place to be under really terrible circumstances. Because <laughs> I was there trying to convert people and like looking back now, I'm like, Oh man, like, what was I doing? Like, like I look okay, at my we converts now is, for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love that we can relate to that because it's yeah. uh yeah, it's it's such a wild experience to be full time preaching Jesus. Yeah. And uh, I mean, especially I mean my my audience was, you know, Buddhists, Taoists, and you know, for the most part atheists. It just religion didn't really, you know, click for them. And I remember being so sad. I was I was like going home at the end of the night and I saw these kids who were just kind of like playing in the street and I was like, they've never heard the name of Jesus before. And I was so sad. And then to come to where I am now, and uh, it's just it's just completely like the opposite. It's like, oh man, you guys dodged a bullet. And I, <laughs> when I say that, I don't mean that like Christ didn't say anything of value because obviously, like the the Bible is in a sense like it influenced so much of Western culture. I mean, uh, are, you guys are familiar with Jordan B. Peterson. Yeah, yeah. So I 
as an atheist, I liked him. And, I, and whenever I say that, people are like, what? Because he has this biblical series that blew up and, you know, people take it. And I can still listen to it and actually love what he's saying because at no point is he saying any of this literally happened. It's just, here's some good things that like, like good mores that, you know, kind of were interwoven into the fabric of Western society, you know, that, you know, taught us a bunch of the values. Now, of course, that doesn't incorporate all the terrible things. And that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the things that, um, like when I discuss with my family, who's all still very much LDS, um, that they like to say, it's like, Kyle, you know, you just focus on the bad. You focus on like, you know, blood oaths and polygamy and, you know, the deception and the lies and they're not being transparent. And, you know, women can't hold the priesthood and like women are, are baby making machines who are supposed to stay at home. But like, Oh, we don't say that anymore. Cause we've changed our story. You know, we're up with the times now. It's like, well, the practice it, is the same, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, they, I babies. Know, yeah. So it was just that, yeah, it was that <laughs> argument with, uh, with like, Kyle, you just look at the bad things. And my response is that is like, I do look at the bad things as you should. And I don't ignore any of the good that it does. A dollar that goes from any Christian into the pocket of someone who needs a meal is a good dollar. And I support, I, I absolutely love, I don't care who does that. Like, I, I don't care at all, the, you know, the person. And uh, I, I just wish that, first of all, more would be given. Because, I mean, with my faith, they have like, you know, 100, a hundred, a guy who was in the church's financial um, area, uh, he basically exposed the credentials. We didn't know how rich the LDS church was. And they have like $100 billion slush funds just for nothing. Wow. And yet, like wow. they're, they're quoted as a long time ago, um, you know, saying like, you know what, like the church, you know, needs your money now, but one day we won't. And like, we won't ask for a dime more. And I was like, okay, where's the cutoff for that, homie? Because like $100 yeah. <laughs> billion dollars in a slush fund, you want to solve world hunger? Snap your fingers. You know, it's like, and that's one of the things that drives me crazy is that all these people are giving to the church, you know, to, to an amount that adds up to a hundred billion. And that's just one slush fund for in, in the LDS church. And I, and I, I need to make sure that my numbers are accurate. Cause I recall seeing this, I didn't actually fact check it, but it was basically that since the church's creation, the LDS church is uh, being founded till now, they've donated a total of like 4.9 billion. It's like, yay. In Salt Lake, the biggest and most popular shopping mall is called City Creek. And it was built by the church using tithing funds, which, whoa, that's a no-no. But uh, because like they say, don't do that because it's just making them more money. Um, But that cost $5 billion. One shopping center, $5 billion. And everything Mm -hmm. they've ever donated ever, $4.9. It's like you, you see... You, and you 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 bring that up to you know LDS people. It's like, well, you just look at the bad man. You know, it's like it just feels so yeah. wrong that they will take people's rent money. You know, because they've convinced them that they don't get their eternal family if they don't do it. You know, uh, like of course they never say that outright. It's very subtle. Right. Like the lies are so subtle, and they're always sold with a smile on their face with yeah. Jesus in my heart. You know, yeah. And then it's like there's there's just this this barrier between, you know, the church and the people and, you know, God, like when, um, I mean, for people who, who believe in God, which is obviously the, everybody in my faith. Um, but it's like, they always say, well, you know, somehow Christ is leading all this. He has, he, you know, he has everything in his hands. Like everything that happens is his will. And after a while you're like, his will is kind of dirty then. Cause like, why isn't it being helpful? Why, why? Yes. Like, it, it's just like, yeah. Cause the, the advertising for God 
is obviously, you know what it is, and that needs no explanation. We know God is perfect. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He loves everyone. He's fighting for you, you know, all of that. But it's like, where is he, though? Mm-hmm. It's like, where, where is he when this stuff goes down? And when, when the people see the church, they have to draw a line between, you know, their testimony of the church and their testimony of God, which is like, I mean, that adds another five years of people staying in, in, the, in the cult because it's because yeah. they can ching that credit card for a long time. So, oh, it's not God, it's the church. And the church you know, yes. needs reform, but it's like, then what use is having a prophet who speaks to God and then, you know, orchestrates and communicates God's will? It's like, you'd think that like, you know, if God was speaking to someone ever, it's like, you'd think that he would be like, Hey, guess what? This is where the sun goes at night. Hey, guess what? There are these things called germs. So like, don't <laughs> baptize people in dirty, in dirty water in, uh, during the black plague, you know, but instead God was like, guys, no shrimp, no shellfish. Yes. You do not blend <laughs> polyester with cotton. Like the, yes. the, like that. Why was that on God's yes. agenda? And not like, bacteria is a thing it's like you can't see it real like me (laughs) you know (laughs) yes i heard all those things too (laughs) yeah because like the good parts of christianity i don't want to root out of society but the thing is all the good things about christianity are not unique to christianity right so it's like we could delete christianity and it wouldn't delete these things because there'd be other sources now then we'd have to you know come up with new stories and you know that that's a pain you know <laughs> and so it's like you know it's 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 semantics of how like we take yeah. care of this you know this issue so that it it's not used as a weapon grand and i'm i'm just going on a tangent right now but uh that's okay. i realize there's nothing that you cannot weaponize you yeah. can weaponize yeah. jesus you know this perfect yeah. you know figure but i've seen people you know pick up jesus like he's a javelin and just throw him at you know people mm-hmm. yeah and you can you can weaponize there, there's always a shadow side to everything like even even to compassion, it's like because if if compassion without limitations means you take on the pain of everyone around you and it's too much you can't handle it, and you just you're just you become the martyr you can't handle it all and so it's like hey there's even like a bad side of compassion like there really is you know like even forgiveness and you would think that there would be a shadow side for something as wonderful as forgiveness, but it's like well here's the shadow side if you know that somebody wants your forgiveness. That means they'll pay a price for it and then you can yes. manipulate them. And so forgiveness is all of a sudden yeah. something you can use as a tool, as a weapon, you know, to extract a desired outcome from someone. Yeah. I was like, oh man. And as I started piecing together all these things, you know, it's like for the first time in my life, the skeptic that is inside all of us, you know, that, that part of the brain, which had just been silenced all through, you know, my, my believing it's like, you know, believe, have faith. And that's like, that's, you know, the, the, the good side of faith, you know, to believe, to have hope, you know, and those were kind of synonyms. And it's like, well, how could those things be bad? It's like, well, look at all the terrible things that happen in the name of faith, of any faith, not just the Christian church. Like, I, I don't have it out for any, you know, one faith over another, so long as what they're doing is, you know, if it's more damaging, then I care more about those things being stopped. Obviously, it's like, I'm not so worried yeah. about people taking sacrament or communion in Christian faiths. Um, as much as I am about, you know, like jihadist, you know, suicide bombing in hospitals, like that obviously, you know, takes the cake on where my attention should be focused. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a bit of a clusterfuck. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that's no, the medical a... term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you said with the, like the forgiveness idea, like that, that was a big part. Um, 
one of the final turning points for me was the whole forgiveness thing. Um, just taught, basically taught to forgive and forget. Um, and it's not said in those words, but it's hinted in those words. Like if you really, if you're really a good Christian, you're going to forgive. Um, and just, well, just yesterday, someone told me like he, I had shared my, a, a story that, well, I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, but um, about the mission that I joined when I was 18 and um, how they, the spiritual abuse that went on there with the founder of the mission and my father um, and someone commented like, just, just forgive them so you can love Jesus more. Like, just forgive your parents. You were young. They were supposed to protect you. Just forgive them so you can love Jesus more. And I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is not okay. Um, yeah. And back, well, a year ago, like, just I was working through a lot of his background with his parents, like, um, narcissist, psychopath, um, just a lot of things there that we had to go no contact. Absolutely. I mean, they threatened legal action on us. They... Uh, it was very messy um, and really, really bad. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's very painful. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. That's really. It rough. was hell. It was hell. <laughs> that was a real hell. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> nice. So subtle. Nice. I love it. <laughs> but the reaction we had from Christians was forgive them. Mm -hmm. and then reconcile uh communicate yeah. with them and we're like you don't understand this is not yeah. you don't understand the reality this is not just a nice christian little bubble this is threatening our family this is threatening our kids this is threat our safety our safety we I, had yeah. to install video cameras we had to have the police on speed dial on our phones we None of that is just like the yeah, Christian forgiveness, wow. just forgive right. them. And I was like, no way in hell. I saw my husband sob, but like never before, there's no way you can just forgive yeah. and communicate. Um, then would I, be naive to in that sense. Yes, and naivety was the problem to begin with. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. just putting us back in the same thing that caused the problem. Hence, you know, exactly. it's just this endless circle. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I loved what you were saying about um, that was a great example of like, you can't just forgive and forget. And it's not that you don't no. forgive. It's that you have to take precautions against yourself because I obviously yes. I do believe in forgiveness, but we have to be very aware of the shadow side of it. And that was a good example of the shadow side of forgiveness. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the Catholic Church forgiving priests who were molesting children. And so they forgave them and then relocated them. And then, you know, it's these children who are being molested and raped who are paying the price for the church's forgiveness. Yeah. And it's like if Christ was anything of who he, you know, he claimed to be, you'd think he would, you know, be communicating or saying, yeah, no, uh, that's not how it works. You don't get to like fund your forgiveness with someone else's pain. That's not how forgiveness yeah. works. I'd love to hear you more talk more about the shadow work. Um, I've heard a little bit that oh, term yeah. before, um, but I know it would be a, new to a lot of people. Um, and I'd love to yeah. know more about it. <laughs> sure. So Carl Jung, are you guys familiar with Carl Jung? No. Are yes. you? So, okay. <laughs> okay. Carl Jung was one of the uh, inspirations, one of the figures in my life that completely changed everything the way that I thought. 
Um, and Jordan Peterson was actually the reason why I heard about Jung because uh, Jung's work uh, influenced uh, Jordan Peterson and so many other people in such a deep way. Like Jung was intelligent to the degree that it was almost frightening. He understood the dark side of people and that's not something that people like to hear about. And he, he came up with uh, this, this concept of the shadow, which is basically to say that there are parts of ourselves that we're not allowed to be because they meet with resistance, shame, guilt, or for whatever reason, people around us say, oh, no, we don't do that. And so those parts of ourselves, like the skeptic we were talking about, my skeptic was thrown into the shadow since before I could conceptually, you know, like, figure out i couldn't even understand the dichotomy of you know faith versus skepticism and so the skeptic which is very valuable to me because i was born in a family of faith skepticism was something that wasn't a good trait not a good quality now obviously that's not true because there's so many advantages to having a skeptical side now to live there for forever that's not where you want to be right but rather that like you know faith and skepticism and you know even traits as benign as like introversion and extroversion these are all just tools to have on the tool belt Sometimes you need a little bit of this and sometimes you need a little bit of that. And so understanding that all these parts should be alive in us. It's, it's, uh, these, are, these are parts of ourselves that are there already. Like we're, they're innate parts of the psyche, but that because we're shamed, we're not really allowed to, to express them. And so they kind of like get caged inside of ourselves. And anything that you cage inside of yourself gets angry. You know, be it, be it uh, abuse that's happened and you don't talk about it. Uh, not getting your know, therapy or counseling when you need it. Um, I, I had a, uh, a client, he's in his 80s now, and he was severely abused by his adoptive parents. And he just stomached it. And for 50 years, he just didn't talk about it. He didn't even really think about it. He was busy, you know, chasing academia and career and becoming a professor. And overnight, this stuff came up overnight. He couldn't leave the house. He couldn't drive a car. He was absolutely just, he was like a child again. He went right back to where he was when that stuff happened. And he was a boy when that stuff happened. And so the stuff that we think that we're getting away with by not talking about it, you know, by being, you know, that strong masculine, like I don't have feelings. I'm impenetrable. I'm bulletproof, which is bullshit. You know, we can play that for, you know, as long as our psyche allows, but man, there's a, there's interest on that debt. And uh, anyway, getting back to the shadow, it's all the things that we either don't like about ourselves innately or parts of ourselves that others have said that's not good. Sexuality is a big one, one that's mm-hmm. it's so deeply shamed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and oh man, I don't know what it's like in you know typical Christian culture. I guess typical Christian culture is a definition that doesn't really serve us because there's so <laughs> many flavors. Yeah. But in LDS culture, I mean, I, I've heard of students who like, like married, married couples who were just like newlyweds, um, who couldn't, they were, they didn't know why they weren't getting pregnant. And it was because he was ejaculating into her belly button. Um, like, is that, yeah. it's insane. Like just, there, there was no talking about it ever. It was like, oh, you'll figure it out. But it's like, yeah. because it was such a shame topic, nobody ever talked about it. And it got that bad that there's people who are like grown ass college students who don't understand how sex works because their parents were like, no, we don't do like the maturation program in elementary school. And the, you know, it was just like that. We don't do that. Like, yeah. and it's like, we'll teach them. But then because it's awkward, 
They don't you teach don't do them. It. And then it's no. like, what happens? Now, obviously, yeah. that's not a common example. I think most people figured out, um, you know, a little pornography. I mean, again, shadow sides, but it can be very useful in at least knowing where stuff goes, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but the, the point is, with Carl Jung's work, he exposed parts of me that I thought I didn't have that I realized were actually in there. I never considered myself a creative person. And now I look at myself as an artist. But because in mm -hmm. my family, it's very, we're, my, my family culture is very pragmatic. So what was, what was valued was, you know, getting shit done, you know, checking the boxes, doing the things, and things that were of value, things that would have an ROI. That was especially important uh, to my dad. And my dad's not a bad guy, but that was just kind of where his brain naturally was. But the problem was my brain type and my dad's brain type were different. But because he was the dad, and you know, the, just because the majority of the people in my family were very pragmatic, you have someone like me who's very creative. I didn't know that until I was in my 20s, late into my 20s. Because it was, I was like, I, I just had learned that being creative meant you're not going to make a lot of money and you're wasting your time. Yeah. And so none of that ever came out in me. It's kind of like if you have an introvert who's born to a family of extroverts, he's naturally just going to kind of think that there's something wrong with him. You know, and the mm. family might even penalize him subconsciously. They, they, they don't obviously put it in the terms of like, oh, he's an introvert. Like, he's weird, you know. <laughs> they may, but it's, it's not something that's really conscious that we're aware of. Like, I'm going to go penalize this person because they're different from me. No, no thought actually comes through that way. And yet we do things that penalize people who are different from us. Because what our brains naturally interpret as normal and good and that feel good to us, we interpret as correct. But you can see if somebody's on the other side of the coin, be it, you know, like introversion, extroversion, you know, if someone is more inhibited or more bold, you know, it's like the inhibited people are like, oh, you're always just, you're too crazy for me. You know, it's like, well, too crazy for you, but being crazy doesn't necessarily, you know, and crazy obviously is not the best word of choice, but someone who's just I'm very crazy. bold and adventurous. <laughs> and just like, yeah, to, to, yeah, throwing caution into the wind. Like we love those people. And then if, you know, we're not that way and we marry them, all of a sudden the thing that we loved about them, it's like, oh man, like that, that's, that's permanent, huh? Like that's really you. Like, <laughs> and then it's this, it's this struggle, you know? Tony Robbins talks about that in, in his first marriage. Uh, like his, his first wife was like, yeah, Tony Robbins is so cool. It's like she, she fell in love with the stage Tony Robbins. And then when they went home at the end of the night, Tony Robbins was that same guy and it bugged her. He's like, he's like, this is me. He's, he's like, yeah, no, I get it. Like she, she took his identity and said, that's just like a phase you're in, but it's not. That's wow. who Tony Robbins is, you know? And so there, there wasn't that space. And so Tony Robbins, had he not had, you know, the confidence in knowing who he is, you know, that self-awareness of this is who I am. He might've taken those traits that made him who he is and suppressed them into the shadow and become yeah. kind of a frustrated copy of his wife. And so it's like the shadow has a lot to do with loving someone in a way that they feel free. Hmm. Like the, the philosophy of it, because you have to understand that people are different. And just because your brain says, this is good, this feels good to me, like that pleasure in your brain may be poison to another person. It's like scary movies. Some people love it, some people hate it. And you can't like, you know, force the lens through which you view scary movies onto the person, you know, here, look, look through these lenses, look through this correct lens at how you should view scary movies or, you know, pick your topic, politics, 
It's like people have to be allowed to be who they are. And when they don't, it's very sad because it's, uh, Albert Einstein has this quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically it says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it's going to live its whole life thinking it's stupid. Yeah. There's something wrong with it. It's yeah. like, that's just not where a fish, you know, that's not where his talents are. Yeah. And so for me, being a creative person is like, you know, I went through 20, 20 ish years of my life not knowing that I was creative and I was extremely creative. And like, I, I love, I love this stuff. You know, I remember I, one of my coping mechanisms growing up was playing the piano and I would do it so much. But you know, when I got to that age where it's like, you should have a job when I'd be playing the piano, my dad would be like, you're wasting your time. Why, why don't you go do this, that, mm. and the other. And so I thought, and so that put me into a position where I could either be on the good side of my dad or I could take this creative trait and push it into the shadow where I was going to be angry and it's going to make me feel unfulfilled. Because it's like whatever your brain type is, there are certain attributes and characteristics that are going to be very important to what your future relationship, occupation, and hobbies should look like, you know, where you would naturally go. It's like it's kind of a weird uh, philosophical question. It's asking if there was no one else on the planet – who would I be? There's no one to please except me. What would I spend my time? What would I want to do? Would I be painting? Would I be building, you know, buildings just because I love building buildings? Would I be philosophizing endlessly? Would I be trying to be super pragmatic, you know, not head up in the clouds, but rather boots on the ground sort of a philosophy? There's so many different dualistic energies that are out there. And each of these we're going to kind of have a, the way it was taught to me is that like with personality, there's five different traits. And like one of them, you can kind of view them as five different coins. And on each side of this coin, there's a different trait. Like one of the coins is introversion on one side and extroversion on the other. And there's five of those coins. That's what uh, comprises um, a, a temperament or a personality. And so when you under, when uh, one of these, so as you grow up, you realize that one of these sides is going to be dominant. It's kind of like one side of that is going to be your, your star player on the team. And one of them is going to be the bench player. Now you need both, right? Cause like sometimes you need, you need to be introverted. Sometimes you need to be extroverted despite what your natural predisposition is to one side of the coin or the other. And so understanding which one, you know, is, is, is more dominantly you. Well, that's where you want to spend most of your time in life. Like two thirds of it should be there at least because that's the side of you that loves to come out, you know? It's like if you took someone like Tony Robbins with his personality and his, you know, his, his presence, his gifts, and you make him like a bus driver. There's nothing wrong with being a bus driver, but that's not where Tony Robbins belongs. He does mm -hmm. so much good and he's so much happier doing something else. And it's funny, I use that because he almost became a truck driver instead of a motivational oh. speaker. He was going to go do it. And then he just, he had, he had a, I think it was Jim Rohn, his mentor, talked him out of it. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you have gifts. But he's like, oh, that's risky. I can make a guaranteed 65 grand a year doing this. That's yeah. amazing. And now he's <laughs> just wealthy beyond, well, he's a little bit more wealthy than me. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what the five traits are? Yes. So, and depending on which, which uh, philosophy or uh, system rather uh, you're using. So introversion and extroversion. And let, let's do Myers-Briggs because Myers-Briggs is the one that is, yeah. uh, is people are most familiar with. I, I also yeah. learned uh, Paulos recognition. P2MR is the abbreviation for that system, but it's a lot lesser known. But uh, I thought it was actually more accurate than Myers-Briggs. Okay. Um, in, in I haven't what, heard of that one. Well. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So um, introversion and extroversion. 
And then there's um, neuroticism being either high or low. So that was uh, inhibition versus disinhibition. So that basically has to do with your amygdala, which is the fear center of your brain. And it's the part of you that says, okay, red flag, hold on, push pause, I need more information. So people who are you know, higher in neuroticism or in uh, P2MR speak, they're inhibited. It means that amygdala is more sensitive. The bar is lower. The threshold is lower for them to go, well, hold on, time out. Whereas someone who's disinhibited or low in neuroticism is going to, it's more the evil Knievel, you know, they're just, they just naturally, they, I mean, like when they're driving on the road and, you know, somebody is like coming over the yellow line, a disinhibited person or the disinhibited energy would be like, eh, we'll probably be okay. Whereas the inhibited person might swerve, you know, so it's mm-hmm. just these polar energies and like we all land somewhere along that spectrum. But um, I think that most of us don't actually end on the spectrum in the middle as much as we want to be. Like a lot right. of people are like, I'm an ambivert or like I'm right in the middle. I'm 50, 50 on all these traits, which I think is really just the brains, the subconscious mind's desire to say, I'm good at both sides. I don't have flaws. You know, we don't realize <laughs> it in, in that sense, but we yeah. love to be in the middle because it's like, yeah, like I'm both. I'm a little bit of everything. Like whatever you need, I am, you know, <laughs> which then yeah. you marry that person. You're like, this shit ain't true. <laughs> no, <laughs> he is totally neurotic. He is totally neurotic. You know, whatever it is. So those are the first two coins. Um, The third one is the circle versus the box. The circle is the feeler, so it leads with the heart. And then the box is the thinker and leads with the head. They're very cerebral, very contextual. Um, You know, show me the data. You know, and so it's... I'm a feeler and he's a thinker. (laughs) Uh, Which is typically how it shakes out because most women are feelers and most guys are thinkers. But uh, there's a whole lot of exceptions. I'm a feeler. I'm very much a feeler. But I've also been able to make friends with my thinker because that was also one of the traits I was raised with is mm-hmm. to be a thinker because my dad is like emotions. It's like, what is that? You know, like he, yeah. he's just not that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it obviously presents problems in relationships. You know, if you don't have a feeler, it's kind of like if um, Carl Jung said, if someone was just an introvert or just an extrovert and wasn't capable of shifting to the other side for a brief period of time, they would be in the loony bin, right? They'd, they'd be in the lunatic asylum. Because we all have to be able to do one more than the other. But one of them is going to be like swimming downstream. Like you, like your brain naturally dislikes it. And so getting in, it's like, ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. And the other side of the coin is swimming upstream, which you can do, but not for forever. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It becomes very painful to do that for forever. It's like you take an introvert and you try to make them into a Tony Robbins. Like their brain will just not do it. <laughs> after a while and they, they can do the fake it till you make it but eventually it's like oh my gosh and even if they can successfully do it they're not happy doing it and yeah. so it's like if you have these gifts and abilities you know that would make you happy and fulfilled elsewhere why would you go to a place you know what are you trying to prove go go do something that you really love and yeah. i've had good mentors in my life you know who uh, I, I had an, an aunt uh, i i moved to out to Sacramento right after I graduated college because I basically just wanted to not be in Utah. Um, And uh, I went out to go do real estate with her and I was fighting that real estate wasn't my thing, but I was absolutely just rubbish at it. It was not my thing. I was like, it was just waiting for, you know, the ax to fall. Like I was financially not doing well. I, I, I was never more poor than when I was during that phase of my life. I was one night away from going homeless. And then I had uh, some angels reach out to me and, uh, they offered me a place to stay and I didn't actually end up going homeless, but I had it all planned out. My company was going to pay for uh, 
a gym pass and it was a really nice gym uh, in Sacramento. <laughs> and uh, so I was going to have, I was going to sleep in my car. I found the place it was behind this old church. I was going to sleep there and then I'd go and shower and, you know, have my clothes in my car to go into the gym. So nobody would know that I was homeless. You know, I wouldn't look homeless. I wouldn't smell homeless. I would look like, you know, I had it all together, but I'd be sleeping in the back of a Honda Civic and Civic is not exactly roomy. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different sort of a thing, but um, anyway, getting back to the temperament typing and uh, the, the coins, the, the dualities um, there is the lineal or the curvaplex and in Myers-Briggs, uh, speak that is openness so it's openness to experience so the uh, the ones who are high in openness are very creative and the ones that are lower in openness are very much more uh, pragmatic they're more practical and this is just a weird caveat I heard it the other day so I may as well say it here so it's on record is that when you take magic mushrooms psilocybin which is the psychoactive component of magic mushrooms actually changes your brain to be more open and that's like the only thing that I've ever heard of that actually changes your brain. And, um, and from what I understand, it can be permanent. It's a permanent change. It makes you more open. You're more of the, the, you know, the Bob Marley, there is no spoon. You know, they say abstract things like that, you know, like from the movie, The Matrix. That's extremely curvaplex. That's extremely um, um, high in openness. And so some people like to, you know, have their head up in the clouds. And that's often like when we hear the phrase head up in the clouds, it's usually a negative thing. It's usually some, you know, you know, lawyer father telling his creative artistic son, like, get your head out of the clouds, you know? And uh, it can be uh, kind of a, a different sort of a, a feel. But uh, by the way, how are we doing on time? We didn't have a time and where are we at? <laughs> Okay, and the final coin um, is the perceiver and the judge. And that's the Myers-Briggs uh, version of this. And in the, uh, in the Alex Paulos version, it's the point versus the wave, which basically has a lot to do with how does your brain like structure? Does structure feel like a safety harness or does it feel like a shackle? So that's like, that obviously makes a, like some people are very regimented. They like to have a routine and some people are very much more, you know, Hawaii pace, go with the flow, <laughs> you know, just what is, what is, I don't need to, like people who go on vacation, people's vacationing styles comes out very strongly on this trait. Do you want to go see everything for five minutes or do you want to see one thing and really, really enjoy it? You know, knowing that you might not go see everything. So that's kind of one of the other differences. Now, so, so that, that like basically hear... are the five coins. I'd like to hear how is it um, what you're saying about the shadow side, that sounds a lot like um, some parts therapy that I've done where you realize that some parts of yourself have become exiles and there's different types of therapy for bringing back the exiles and reintegrating that into you as well. I've done hypnotherapy and talked about hypnotherapy on the podcast. And that's another way of kind of restoring the exiles. How does shadow work work to to kind of make you more of a whole person instead of like part of me is repressed and i'd be curious too how do demons fit into this because we are in a i i feel maybe yeah. i'll just tell you what i think i think that um well i think two things one is if you listen to jordan peterson he'll talk about the history of psychology and before we had psychology mm -hmm. before we had a clear understanding of what a human was and what a mind was they had ideas about gods so that there was a God of love and there was a God of anger and there was a God of 
war and, and different things like this. Yeah. And so when somebody became consumed by a passion, they would say, well, Mars took hold of him or, or Venus took hold of her and then she engaged in sex or whatever. And I feel as though when we get super into religion, we are almost regressing back to that state of this isn't me, this is God, you know, uh, instead yeah. of owning these emotions actually come from me. It's just a part of me that has been um, exiled or it's a part of me that I'm not familiar with. I don't, I don't have a close relationship with this part of myself. Um, anyways, the question for you was how do you do shadow work as far as bringing these exiled parts of you back and having a, a more healthy and whole relationship with yourself? Good question. And the, there's a lot to unpack in that question, but I'll try to be as succinct uh, with, with my answers as possible. So shadow work is best done with someone who has done it before. And it's, it's not like you get a certificate at the end of doing shadow work because we're never done with shadow work because there's all these different moments pop up in our lives where we either choose to own who we are or we kind of send something away. Like if the people around us are like, oh man, we super, super are into, you know, this and you're not, you might feel that you need to kind of put yourself out there that way. And there's a difference between being situationally appropriate and, you know, agreeable, not like, well, I don't do that, you know, because that's obviously not, not, uh, there's no utility in that kind of behavior. Um, and so... On the other end of the coin, sometimes we actually take those things and long-term throw them away. So how to do shadow work and it's, it's basically, it's like you're Sherlock Holmes and you're on the trail for all the things about yourself that you have beef with. Because if, uh, if I am, I heard somebody uh, talk about in a sense of they were in high school and there was this, uh, she didn't like punk rock. Like for whatever reason, punk rock to her was just lame. That's how she labeled it. Punk rock equals lame. And so anything that had to do with punk rock She's like, well, that's lame, so I can't be that. But yet there were certain things, you know, certain punk rock songs that, you know, maybe she would like, maybe certain styles of clothing or, you know, hairstyles that she would have been into. But all of those were off limits because punk rock is lame. And so you find parts of yourself in the things you don't like about other people. So, for example, let's say I view myself as someone who is humble, now, I look at different traits that kind of have a relationship with humble and arrogant has one, right? They're on opposite sides of the fence, right? Now, if I view myself as humble, I can't be arrogant. I can't, you know, be assertive even because those kind of look the same. Does that make sense? It's kind of like it's guilty. These certain traits that are like the traits that we don't like in other people, they become guilty by association. So we can't exhibit those traits either. So it's like if I was, you know, the introvert born into a family full of extroverts and, you know, I'm at a party and I see somebody who's like, you know, super introverted, I might even be like, there's something wrong with that guy, even though I'm the introvert, because I've been taught it's not good to be an introvert. Now, there are so many different things that get cast into the shadow. And it's not just, you know, bad things that, you know, deserve to be in the shadow, because there's no such thing as a positive or a negative trait. They have uses in different scenarios. And so we want to incorporate all of them into who we are. We want to integrate those pieces of, of, uh, of ourselves back to where they can have life and they can you know, experience expression because they're useful to us. 
So it's like, so one of the things that I do with my clients is I take them through the five coins like I just did with you guys. And I find the ones, because they always light up when I say one side of the coin. It's like feelers. And you know, a, lo a lot of my female clients are like, oh, feelers, those are the best. Like I love feelers. <laughs> and they always hate me because I'm like, perfect. We're going to work on the box. <laughs> it's like, that's where we're going to go. Because we, remember, we have that star player. One side of the coin is going to be our favorite. It's going to be like our, where our brain is most naturally uh, carefree and happy, but we also need to realize that like there's utility in the other side. And so the personality stuff, the reason why I incorporate into my clients who are leaving faith is because they're recreating an identity. But the thing is, yeah. is they didn't even know their identity before the whole faith crisis happened because yeah, it's no not before. just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's not just, it's not just, you know, the, the religion that hides, you know, traits you know, that makes you feel you have to hide certain parts of who you are, although that definitely happens like that. That's huge. But also if it's not just reverting to who you were before, you know, a religion got its hands on you, because even that person, was that really you? And even if it was, you got lucky and you guessed all, you know, correctly, which one's your star and which one's your bench uh, player. There's still so much more work to be done. There's still so many different nuances in personality because basically personality is the study of like, why the hell do people do what they do? And there's a lot of material to be covered there, right? And so getting into that stuff, it's kind of like um, I, the way that I was taught shadow work was that it's kind of like, you know, when in the 90s, how everything had a cord, everything is cordless now, but all these things had cord. And there's always a basket in every home where all of the corded stuff that we didn't know what to do with went to. And if you ever needed to get one cord out of there, Good luck, because it's all just tangled in, in you know, in, in each other. Hey, like roots. that's my life right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was basically just finding one and then gently pulling it out. There's so much of who we are that is in the shadow because we don't like, because maybe our spouse is more of a this person and we're more of a that person. And so like when they come around, we're a different person. We have to put out a different thing in order to please them. And people who are naturally people pleasers, which actually is more correlated with the feelers than the thinkers, um, not that thinkers don't do it themselves, but uh, they often are so much into pleasing because they love those feelings of the relationship, the positive emotion. And so like, it's like, you know, if I have to sacrifice a part of me in order to make, you know, my family, my spouse, my friends happy, I'll do that as a gift. But again, there's a shadow side of that gift. It's that you're caging certain parts of yourself that deserve to be out there. They don't have to be out there every day. You know, maybe it's, it's a caged bench player. It's still a player. It's still on your team. It still deserves to come out and play from time to time. And your star players need a rest from time to time. And it also provides variety in who you are. And so it's kind of fun to look at these skills that you're like, or these traits that you're like, eh, I don't know. And then go make friends with them. One thing I was taught in church was that there's, um, if you guys ever heard the analogy of like, you know, there's, there's a wolf inside of you. One represents good, one represents evil. Right. And it's like, which wolf is going to win the fight? The one that you feed. And I ask the question, why do the wolves have to fight? Why can't they sit across the table and be like, you know what? You're very skeptical and I'm very into the believing. But you know what? You, Mr. Skeptic, would help me from like not getting into a cult, for example, or just having people <laughs> betray me and lie to me and I don't see it forever and ever. And then the skeptic can be, you know what? I like that you are open to feelings you're you're willing to be vulnerable to experience hope where i'm very skeptical i'm like no no if we do that it'll never work like why, why ask that girl out she's just going to reject me you know why put that on the line so both of these are so valuable so like that was one of the unraveling portions of my faith was like why do we always have to kill something why is yeah. there always a part of us that has to get thrown into a shadow or made wrong yeah. why does like why why can't the wolves just like both pull the sled together 
you know yeah. what about that why is it always why does it always have to be some war we're fighting you know yeah. Yeah. And that's but, basically uh, what when we started this podcast like chain we the name is uh seek health find god and ministry will find you um that was my motto that was the motto mm-hmm. before we deconstructed um so we kind of narrowed it down to just seek health <laughs> Um, but it's that it's like, we've only ever really paid attention to the intellectual and to following what the church tells us to do. Um, and what they teach us that the Bible says, <laughs> um, their interpretation and yeah, it kind of comes around circle of how you're talking about it, because that's what we're seeking on this year. This is our journey right now. It's seeking health, the whole part of us, um, God gave us those feelings. God gave us that skepticism. God gave it like, you know, like if you subscribe to God, like he made all of us and it's meant to be listened to. Um, yeah. I'm questioning God, Jesus and all of that as an agnostic, but it's like, this is all part of who I am. And why am I saying that this whole part of me is bad? Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. I was taught that you don't do feelings and i was taught that you completely shut off your sexuality and you know all these things that we shut off um but we got to seek health and embrace the whole of us and learn to know it know all the parts and the shadows mm-hmm. um so i love that I love what you shared well thank you uh, thank you for joining us today that has been really nice i think we'll need to have another we'll part have part two, <laughs> part two at some point yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to and I'll, hopefully i'll be more organized next time for most people oh, no, i great. hope not I this hope is not. perfect we love this is <laughs> exactly us yeah. um yeah so i just want to highlight again for people that are leaving religion and um kyle is a life coach and sounds you sound great <laughs> um so well, beyond it's my God. microphone it's expensive <laughs> that cool microphone you showed us <laughs> So Beyond God and Religion on Facebook, Instagram, or beyondgodandreligion.com. Look him up for life coaching. And on Instagram, I I didn't know you were on Facebook, so I'll go friend you. But um, definitely on Instagram to follow you for lots of great memes. (laughs) Oh, you got it. I got the memes. I got the memes. (laughs) Perfect. Thanks for joining us, Kyle. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks. Good one.